Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Today's guest is improviser Chris De La Cruz. We talk about a lot of cool things, but first I would like to brag on friend of the show, previous guest, Sean Cantatori, girlfriend of the show, Justina, and I went to see Sean's show, Sorry I'm Late. That that was the guest, if you don't remember. She's the one who said, Sorry, I'm Sean. And we went to that on Sunday. It was a really great time. She actually gave a shout out to the podcast in the show, but that's not what made it great. The show was so funny and so delightful. I laughed myself hoarse. I'm not kidding. I was hoarse. After that show, I was laughing so much. It was a one-woman variety show that also featured some other very talented people in the Magnet community, like previous guest Shannon Krowicki. They all killed it. Speaking of great shows at The Magnet, today's guest puts on a great show at The Magnet. It's an improvised late-night talk show, and obviously when you hear that, you know my nerdy ass is super on board with that idea. And I was, as soon as I even just heard the show existed, I said I should get him on as a guest. He's an improviser, we talk about that, we talk about tons of things he's doing in his day-to-day. It's very intriguing, really great talk, so let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Chris De La Cruz. You're from Dayton, Ohio. I feel like a lot of people are from Ohio who are <laughs> in improv, at least. I mean, I have a couple of good yeah, improv friends who are <laughs> Ohio This is people. true. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, they say Ohio's a great place to be raised, but everyone leaves at some point. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it must be a thing, a true thing, because when I was in South Carolina, that's where I'm from, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Every time you turned around, someone would say, like, yeah, I'm from Ohio. I was like, are you all trying to take over? Like, some friends of mine in college had a theory that Ohio was trying to take over the South because just every time you turned around, there was someone the from South Ohio. South and New York City, too. I mean, there's literally bars that are, like, Ohio-themed in New York that, like, they ship. They, like, ship greater. Cincinnati, Ohio, yeah. The, yeah. the, the Cincinnati Chili from Ohio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. I had that, and... um it wasn't the best way to get it's Cincinnati fine. chili. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing to brag about. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been there, only been to Ohio once, and it was to Cincinnati. And I didn't have the chili when I was actually there because of my previous chili experience. With Well, previous Cincinnati chili experience. Uh, yeah. is, is there like a Dayton, Ohio uh, <laughs> food there's item? There's not really a Dayton... We have a no. I don't think so. I was trying to think right now. We have a we have different. Uh, actually, we have this one place that does this. It's called Dorothy Lane Market, and they do these brownies called Killer Brownies, and they're not that famous. But when I go back to Ohio, I always bring them for my girlfriend's oh, dad. Nice. He loves them. He like loves them, loves them, loves them, and they're like these like really like brownies that have just like chocolate chips and like. 
just like so much stuff, caramel. It's like, I mean, they'll kill you. They're killer brownies. And so uh, I always feel kind of guilty giving them because, you know, they're not healthy, but he loves them. So I, um, yeah, I think I make sure that happens. <laughs> yeah, you got to just, you got to find a way to just put like kale in them or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, it, it's, the, it's the type of place that would do that. So, <laughs> uh, so you started improv in college. Uh, you went to a college in Vermont. Now, that team name was like your typical college improv team name. Yeah, you've done was, the research. Wow, I've done the yeah, little little research. Yeah, but it was I'm like glad. otter nonsense. Yeah, the otter nonsense players. Players, yeah. Um, but your team mascot, like the school mascot, not otters. Yeah, it was a panther. <laughs> right. Um, so reason why, why we otter <laughs> otter nonsense is because there's a there's a uh, it's Otter Creek. So it was Middlebury College, and Otter mm. Creek runs through Middlebury College, and like it's also a, a beer, Otter Creek beer that okay. people really like, really enjoy at least in the area. Um, that's that's fair uh, then. I mean, and it's you made know. in Middlebury, so that's right. So it was it's named after the creek, the mm. otter nonsense. Yeah. Okay. If since it's there, since that creek is there, that makes it okay to name the team yeah, Otter Nonsense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, that's, okay. That that's actually maybe the strongest college improv team name. Wow. With that, be, I mean, but you have another to have one that was uh, that was uh, uh, the, a group that started like later than Otter Nonsense called Middlebrow, which I thought was. Like, interesting name for Middlebury and Middlebrow. Yeah. A little bit to understand what it meant, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I dig that one, too. There are a lot that are yeah. bad, and they have no reason to, like, do the play on words that they're doing. Um, yeah, there's but, a lot of know, weird ones. when there's a creek that has the same name, then it makes sense. It makes it work. Yeah, yeah. It, this, <laughs> I think this, yeah, I, I would say out of, all that I know of, and some I guess I'm thinking like purple crayon, immediate <laughs> gratification players, and think about all the ones that I would see in like the college improv tournament. I later, when I went to I went to NYU for grad school and joined their uh, their undergrad improv team because I just like really wanted to still do improv and mm-hmm. do it on. I think there's nothing, there's really nothing like doing improv on a college campus because I think like I remember at at Middlebury we'd have like we'd like sell out these like yeah. venues and it was crazy. And then you get to New York and you're like with your practice team <laughs> in some basement of a bar. And it's like, this is not what I had experienced before. And so yeah. uh, when I got into grad school, which was like a second year in New York, I was like, Oh yeah, I would totally relive my college improv experience. So I joined their mm. team. They were called danger box. It was a great, a very good team, but the name had, you know, the name was as random as, any other ones more. right so, yeah. oh yeah 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 i mean but danger box doesn't sound like a, a specifically a college improv team name that just sounds true. like a team name that some people are like all right here we go <laughs> true it does it does yeah it works in that way immediate gratification players that's different i don't know where immediate gratification players is so i'm sorry i'm like dogging on them but <laughs> the, immediate, the immediate one that comes to mind is that one so yeah that's funny did you do any performing before college yeah, you know, I always, I loved theater growing up, and I was always a performer since I was 
like very young, I always loved performing in front of people. I really loved uh, music at first, like not really like, well, not even like learning instruments, but I wanted to be like a rock star. Like I really loved, um, <laughs> my dad got me really into, my first artist I was ever into was Billy Ray Cyrus. Okay. Uh, Achy Breaky Heart. Like you could, if you could just tell him, like if you just gave me a stage, I would sing that anywhere. There's home videos of me <laughs> in the middle of like, you know, either I'm at the barber shop or I'm like, I could be visiting Dominican Republic and like at the, in the campo and I'm like there in front of everyone just singing this song, like playing the VHS and singing the song. So I always loved performing and, um, it, but it was interesting because it was, I feel like a lot of things kind of just happened in a lot of ways. So I was into performing, but I never like really pursued acting until in seventh grade. I had a teacher who was like, you should do the play. So it wasn't that I was going out for stuff. She was like, you should do the play, you should audition. And I did, it was like, I think it was Peter Pan that I was auditioning for. And I got to be, um, Smee, the side, mm. side person for Hook. Mm-hmm. And I really loved it. And I, I, that bit, man, so throughout high school, I did um, theater. But then when I went to school, I didn't, I didn't pursue theater because I think I was, I was, I think maybe I had a, a little bit of like a, first generation American mentality of like, Oh, you can't like, that's not a, you can't pursue, like, what are you going to do with that? Right. Like mm-hmm. listen, I have two parents who were doctors and I, you know, I was thinking about being an English teacher, which mm-hmm. is, is still isn't like the most profitable thing, but it felt like, Oh, I can get a job. After that's this. a serious so job. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Theater didn't feel like it would be at the time. And, uh, but then I, I remember on my preview day, uh, my preview day happened to be 419 going into 420 and the <laughs> otters have a 420 show that they do every year. And so I, I just happened to visit the college at the same <laughs> people like make up, uh, you know, make up a full, it was like a musical in front of, ev- in front of just like out of nothing. And I'd never seen it before other than like with who's line. And I loved that. And, uh, I, kind of forgot about it and then I went back and then I got I, I went I eventually went to the school I saw them again and I was like you know what let me just try out for them mm-hmm. and was really good at it I don't, I don't know what it, it just felt natural to me to like make stuff up on the spot it felt very oh, nice. yeah did you love comedy before that were you like a nerd about comedy before or was that sort of the spark for you not at all I mean I enjoyed comedy um in the sense that like but I wasn't like I wasn't the type, you know, you'll hear about comedians who like, you know, I, I would listen to, uh, I don't know, whoever's uh, album or whatever over and over on repeat. That's, I wouldn't, I was about to say Bill Cosby. That's usually the one, unfortunately, everyone will say, but uh, yeah. I just wasn't, I wasn't really doing that. I enjoyed comedy. I liked, um, you know, I liked funny movies. I loved the show Wild and Out. Like I was a big fan of that show, uh-huh. uh, which eventually like ended up having a weird uh, reappearance in my life later. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it wasn't, um, I wasn't say I, I wasn't thinking of myself as a comedian. I thought of myself as a funny person, mm-hmm. but I didn't think like, oh, I'm a, I'm a comedian or anything like that, or I want to pursue comedy. And even when I was doing improv, I just kind of did improv cause I liked, I liked improv. I liked mm-hmm. picking up stuff on the spot. So it never really felt, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't until later, later, that even like maybe after college that I actually like thought about pursuing comedy as a thing Oh wow. it was kind of a tool and kind of like a fun thing. And I was, yeah. I was and the people on my team were pretty serious about 
Im- about improv and they wanted to get into sketch and they'd go into sketch writing. But for me, I was always like, this is fun. This is a fun tool. I like that I get to do this. But I never really thought of it seriously until post, post-college. post Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that transition going from uh, like a little, you know, like where were you when you started saying, oh, I can really maybe do something with this? Because you're a high school teacher. Yeah, uh, I'm a full-time high school teacher. Yeah, I teach in the Bronx. Yeah. Uh, and you use, it sounds like, at least somewhat in your education, uh, your educational roles, you use, uh, you know, your improv uh, to a certain degree. I mean, I know you do stuff with Story Pirates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, was was uh, teaching a little bit with that and also doing some other, uh, like, I guess, writing uh, as well. But also, you know, you mentioned the Wild and Outs approach to things you you do some wild and out type of show uh, yeah. with high schoolers right mm-hmm. so i think it um so yeah during back in college well i think i, I i've actually thought about this a lot actually why didn't i pursue comedy earlier on mm-hmm. and i think it was again this mentality i had where i'm like where it never felt like it could be a career like i just mm-hmm. never that wasn't available to me I, I, no one no one in my life, no one in my life, one was in the arts, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly no one was in comedy. So it never really felt like that was a thing you did. You know, if I could redo my life, maybe I would have like, you know, I probably would have immediately interned at like the Tonight Show or something, you know, mm-hmm. and like worked at SNL, tried to do writing and stuff. But that just wasn't something that I thought of. Right. So after college, I actually was a fellow at Story Pirates. And the reason why I did that was because I was a, it was a production fellow. It wasn't to perform. Because, again, oh, I was thinking, like, I was thinking, okay, like, I have this education background. That could be really useful for Story Pirates. I also really love improv, so that would be really cool. Because there was these two people from Story Pirates who, like, did a workshop with us at Middlebury. And when they told me about Story Pirates, when they were saying that there was this place that, you, that was using comedy but also was based in education, I was like, oh, my God, that's, that sounds great. And, but the pull for me was that it seemed still like a job. You know, like a, a like it, it was still education. So I was like, great, I could do that. And that's what I did my first year in New York. I was doing that. I was interning at the pit and I was also working at a coffee shop. Um, I was doing all three of those things. And then after that, I went into grad school for two years. And that's when I was doing stuff with Danger Box. I was okay. still taking classes at the Magnet, though. That's around, the, around that time is when I started taking classes at the Magnet. I, I started at the pit and then didn't really like the curriculum after like the second or third, definitely after the third time. Mm. And I was like, ah, I'm going to go to the magnet. And I loved the magnet and was going through the magnet curriculum during that time in grad school. Okay. Yeah. And so you like using all of these tools uh, for your educational purposes. I mean, it's something that benefits you. Why do you see, why do you think that is? I think, I just think improv is so uh, useful. I mean, I think it's one of the most useful tools that I've ever, yeah, that I could pick out of anything I've been taught is being able to, you know, all the principles, yes and, but also like definitely yes and, and building stuff, just like building stuff as it's going. You know, there's so many times in my my career, in my time as a teacher, where I really do have to make stuff up on the spot Mm -hmm. and also make it look like it was planned. Because you don't want kids thinking that you didn't know what you were doing, right? Uh, so that happens a lot. And I was, um, you know, so there were story pirates. I was also teaching 
I was teaching at this organization called Opening Act, which was started by people who primarily did improv, like a lot of people from the pit. And they were giving after school theater lessons that were based in improv in like Brooklyn, in schools that don't have arts education programs, they were doing that. So I was doing that as well. And I just loved it because I also think it, I think of myself when I was in high school and, um, and when I would watch things on TV, like say Wild and Out, which I'll get into in a moment, like I'd watch something like Wild and Out and be like, that's so fun. I, mm-hmm. I just never thought that was something that was, I mean, clearly adults were doing it on screen, but it didn't feel like something I could do. No, I, I totally know what you mean. That's how I felt when I first saw the original, and I don't mean Drew Carey, but like the original British, whose right. line is it anyway? Anyway, right. Right. I mean, I was, I saw that, I guess I was in high school or, or whatever. It was, it was repeats, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. you know, like I saw that on Comedy Central, like so many people did. Mm-hmm. And I just saw like... They're really funny, the do, you know, doing comedy. I didn't think of improv as something I could do. And then there was like an opportunity to take a class with it in college. But it wasn't something I wanted to really, really do until years later. Right. Yeah, it just, it never felt like, I never was like, I never thought to myself like, oh, these people are getting paid for this. Or like, this, people, right. this, is, this, is, this is their career. Never. Or just even an activity. Even, yeah, or just thing that I can do. Yeah, it's like. It felt like a thing I would have to just do maybe with my friends, mm-hmm, you know, like, mm-hmm. but it was never something I could like present. Right. And there are a lot of people, a lot of young people, especially like in the communities where I work, like in the Bronx or in, in Brooklyn, where they see these things that seem so fun and they love, but they don't feel like they could be doing it themselves. And once you kind of open that door for them and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, you can't. Like we can create a stage and I can teach you the rules of this game. And it's actually really I wouldn't say it's easy, but it is like it's a it's a skill you can learn. Like you can actually learn this. So like it's not like that. These people that you're seeing on TV are just these brilliant, hilarious people. No, like you can actually train yourself to do it, and actually they're training themselves to be able to do it as well. And um, yeah, that's when late. It was my first year. I think yeah, it was my first year of teaching. I believe it was my first year of teaching, or even my first or second year of teaching. First year of teaching. Mm-hmm. It was my first year of teaching where. I had this acting class the first semester and the kids thought it was so boring. They hated it. And it made me hate myself because it was like something that I loved in high school, like acting. And I was teaching this acting class. We were going to do like a dramatic scenes and stuff. They thought it was so boring, but they loved the improv games. They love, love, love the improv games. So the second semester I was like, okay, let me do a whole wild and out class. And that would be called freestyle comedy because they really loved Wild and Out still after like, I mean, I liked it when I was 16 and now I'm 20. You know, at the time I was 26. So 10 years later, they're still watching it, which is insane to me, mm-hmm. um, the success of that show. And so we create this class um, and we're doing, we're doing that. And they knew I was in the comedy world and they kept saying like, oh, are you going to bring Nick Cannon? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll bring, I'll bring Nick Cannon. Don't worry. Just like, just make sure you guys do a final performance and I'll bring Nick Cannon. And then they, uh, they did, they set up their whole final performance. They were ready to go. And this was so fun. They loved the games. It was like such a fun class to teach. And then at the end they're like, oh, what, what happened? Where's, when's Nick Cannon coming? And I was like, shit. 
Uh, <laughs> you guys, you know, definitely did your end of the bargain. Like we're about to do this showcase and you're really good at it and I need to figure out my stuff. So I was like, okay, well, we're going to do a video and we'll try to send it to Nick. So we, they directed their own video that was like inviting him and like showing him different elements of the class and the game. Uh-huh. And I was trying to contact everyone I knew in the comedy community. Like, Hey, like we're trying to get like someone from wild and out, you know, whether it mm-hmm. be like, and I got some good response. Like Jacob Williams reached out. Like there was mm-hmm. some, I was like, okay, like we're getting some, some, some peace. traction. Yeah, it was good. And it was only by chance that this guy who had been working with us through, we did a, a project with black lives matter, like earlier in the year. And I saw him come in and I saw that he had the incredible logo on the black lives matter hoodie. And I was like, Oh, that's, Nick Cannon's company. He must know Nick Cannon in some way. So I asked him about it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know Nick. I'll, I'll pass your video to him. And I was like, what? So he passes the video to Nick and it's just the same weekend that Nick Cannon loses his job at America's Got Talent, I think he got. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it was or it's like he kind of, yeah, he. I guess he kind of stepped down from it when they yeah, asked him to renounce some joke. And special and like mm-hmm. said something about, something about race that like the network did not enjoy and mm-hmm. like he got backlash, he stepped down. And so I think it was just this perfect timing where he wanted some sort of like good publicity at the same time that we, this whole group of young kids who loved his show reached out to him where he like, we, I signed off that video on a Tuesday, on a Thursday he showed up to the school. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. And they performed with him and that was really cool. And he was really nice and like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a wonderful experience for them to, like, be able to create, like, spend a whole semester working on this craft, create a video, and then get the actual guy that they've been seeing on TV to come and validate them and also, like, play the games with them. It was, it was very cool. That's great. That's great. I'm glad that worked out. It did. It did. And then the best part was, there was this, the, the thing that we, like, did not do in in class was the wild style, which was, like, which is the thing that you know, happens at the end where they kind of just, like... Mm-hmm. each other and the reason why we didn't do it is because we did that early earlier on and kids would be like just too mean to each other <laughs> yeah that, yeah 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 and i was like i can't i don't have the i'm not that creative educator where i know how to navigate this like what's going on. <laughs> so we were like okay no what we like one thing we don't do in this class is we just don't do wild style we'll do every other game <laughs> but the course Nick's there, and one of the kids just goes up to when we're closing. One of the kids goes up to him and does this Mariah joke straight to his face. Uh huh. And I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! Like, what are we gonna do? Like, Nick came all this way, and now I have these kids like ragging on him. And then he fires back immediately. And then the kids go back and forth with him, and then we have this whole. Wa- it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, That's but, funny. Yeah. It was cool. It was a good moment. It was definitely a cool moment. So yeah, that was a definite high, highlight, and also a way in which like improv, I think, is just such an accessible tool. And you don't, you, uh-huh. I guess, like if you were in the improv community, right? Like who you see on stage, the the you know, like especially at the beginning, I, I think improv has become way more diverse even over the the time that I've uh, been in New York. But, oh yeah. But just like improv in general feels like a you know, millennial, you know, millennial white guy thing. And it's just a great reminder of how just universal improv is and like how like 
improv in a lot of ways, like especially within with these kids in their community, they're like already very naturally talented at improv. Yeah, that's just how they move. That's just how they. It's almost like I didn't have to teach them anything. I just had to give them the structure of the game, and there they go. They're like, right. oh, this, oh, this is that's all the you have to do for the game. Great, and they take it away. That's why that wild style moment was incredible because it's like, oh, we didn't even do this in class, and you guys are experts at this. It's insane. <laughs> Oh, that's dope. In keeping with what you're talking about, I mean, you teach social justice. Maybe that's not the correct way to word it, to say that you teach social justice, but you teach a social justice uh, media class. Yeah, yeah. There was At one point I was teaching a social justice media, media class. I mean, the whole curriculum at the school is based in social justice and, like, kind of examining things about race. Mm-hmm. sexism, things like rec- gender, sexuality, and think we try to include that in our mm-hmm. curriculum. But at one point, at the beginning of my time, I was teaching a class that was specifically media and social justice. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, improv is this place where we all can convene. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to just be one group. Even like, you know, we're seeing a lot more diversity in age now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. Um, like people starting it later, you know, I don't mean like people who started it at 30 and now 30 years later, they're still doing it. I mean, people who are starting at 60 something, which is awesome. Yeah. And the level of like experience and stuff that, you know, cause if you just have one group, that's like one type of group that's performing all together, this hom- homogeneous group, it's going to be like the same humor and it's like really kind of repetitive and boring. But then when you get a mix of people, right, you get like, because, you know, it, I think the best kind of improv is the improv that kind of um, mimics what the world looks like or what, you know, because that's what you come. You come to you come to a show to see two people make up stuff, but you also want to get a sample of these, like, my favorite's like these slice of life moments where you're like, wow, that felt so real, but it's these two people completely acting it out. That's incredible to watch. Yeah. Um, Another thing you've done with Moth High School Slams uh, yeah. that's affiliated with the moth. Yeah. So I started, I now, I now it's both, but I started in hosting the moth high school stands, which is run by the moth is the education department of the moth, mm-hmm. uh, do these slams, which are essentially, they're either like in school where they'll have like, uh, a six week workshop in a school and it ends with students performing out their stories, or they might do one in which, students from different schools come together and meet six weeks and then perform their stories. So it's not like, it's not competitive like the other, like the slams, like the story slams. Um, it's more like a showcase of the work that they've built together. Ah, uh, okay. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And that actually showed up through the magnet. Um, I was in my level two and, uh, I was in a class with Michaela Bly, who is mm-hmm. like an incredible storyteller and an also an incredible improviser. And we really got along in class. I just, her improv was, she was just so fun and mm-hmm. so funny. And actually that whole class really bonded. That It was a level two with Alana, I believe. Yeah, yeah she, she does do Alana level yeah. twos. Who's, she's it great. Was, she's, it, yeah, and it was that whole class really bonded. And then she reached out to me, Michaela did, just asking, like, would you want to host The Moth um, for the high school? Because she knew I did high school as well. She also did Story Pirates. We had a lot of connections. And so... I did that. I got to host for the high school slam and that was like a life changing moment because hosting the slam that let me, it was almost like everything I love to do Mm -hmm. was like brought together at once 
in a single performance. It was insane. This like, because as host, you get to you tell a story at the beginning. At the at the high school time, you tell a story at the beginning. You kind of introduce the students and you kind of hype them up. You make them feel like real stars as they come on. Then you riff off their stories in the in the in between. You play with the audience. I was like, oh my god, this is everything I love doing mm-hmm. in one thing. Um, yeah, that that really changed my life because that led to me wanting to become a host host, right? Like that, if I could talk about like where, where Mad Late came from or that whole right. idea of wanting to become a host, that was simply because of um, getting to do the Moth High School Slam. Oh, I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in college, I was, I, I also hosted, I hosted like, they would, people would ask me to host different events. But there, there was something about the Moth High School Slam, especially because I guess maybe high schoolers were involved and it felt like I was just like, elevating people like that felt so good to make to like set people up for success and then let them shine and then and then highlight them in that way that there's something that I love about that and that let me know like oh I want to be a host and I I want that to be my job like my career in the future is to be a host of something like I was doing this teaching thing and I love teaching but But that's very similar to hosting I mean you're standing in front of people presenting that's exactly what I was going to say I think I think I chose teaching as a profession. Now, sometimes when I reflect on it, because it, because one, it felt like the most practical thing, as I mentioned before, like it, that was a professional thing to do. You become a teacher, but it was the closest thing to that thing that I didn't know I would eventually come to love, which is hosting. And I think that's the thing I love about teaching the most is like you are this master of ceremonies in the classroom, whether you are uh, translating information to students or whether you're like helping facilitate student dialogue. I love doing that. And then when I did that hosting, I was like, oh, this, this is what I love doing. And um, yeah, that opened up a whole other thing for me. Yeah, that's, and that's something I do want to talk to you about is Mad Late. Before we jump into that, though, see, I'm surprised, I'm not really surprised, it makes sense that doing the moth stuff led to Mad Late, but I thought that it was going to be that you just loved uh, you know, you're a nerd about late night talk shows or something like that, like I am. So I was like, yeah, certainly that's how we came up with that. But also I saw you on The Tonight Show. I was, yeah. So um, I thought maybe that was uh, some of that connection. But how did you end up on Tonight Show? You were I, What I saw was um, during the holiday season when they do the 12 Days of Christmas sweaters on The Tonight Show, um, they'll have a page come out and like open a door and pull out a ridiculous Christmas sweater. And you yeah. were one of the people that they had come out as a page. Were you a yeah, page I, there? I, I was a page there because um, someone from when you're from Story Pirates, Tessa, her she she was a page there. She was doing that stuff. She was doing the um, she was like one of the people who'd reveal mm-hmm. uh, the like the 12 days of christmas and so she reached out to me because they just needed an extra person she knew that at the time she knew i loved late night um and that i was interested in late night and that i was building this show in my head at late and so she invited me to come she 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 told she told the coordinator the coordinator had me and i went the first time i went it was for something that like it was for something with Howard Stern, and I wasn't really on camera at all. It mm. was like a bit that wasn't there. And then the time that like blew up was for this bit with Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, that was all by chance because as a page, you know, as a page or like as someone who like 
is just like this like small role on the tonight show <laughs> you don't really know how you're going to show up on camera right. and it just so happened so there's this game uh it was called hop quiz with kevin hart where they you know kevin hart they love having him on the show and like mm-hmm. having animals um and because he freaks out yeah and was so, it that episode where he co-hosted it was he didn't i'm not sure if he co- i don't think he co-hosted that this one okay he was just a guest he was he was promoting secret life of pets which is why they had the bunnies mm. and um he they would give uh they would give you a bunny if you an- answered a question wrong and i during the bit was supposed to come out it was like we would come out in different order right and it just so happened that the timing of it Kevin didn't get anything wrong until right at the end. And that that lined up so that I was the one who could give this bunny to Kevin, which is then I guess there was a picture taken of that moment because it was like, so, you know, him freaking out and whatnot. And then he ended up posting on his Instagram. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Is that the one where there, there was like a red eyed bunny or something? Exactly. Yeah. This like devil bunny. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And my students like freaked out about it. Like they like because they they saw it before me because Kevin posts on his thing and they were like, oh, my, that's our teacher. You know, like that's insane. Um, and so, yeah, that was just like a random gig. And it was really fun to be there and also see the behind the scenes of the whole. Yeah. Because that, that was my, my interest. Right. And like. Right. And it's funny you say that because, like, my interest in late night came, you know, I always loved late night and, and you know, like, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, I always, and Trevor Noah, I always mm-hmm. really loved them, but I never was, like, it wasn't until I fell in love with hosting oh, that, wow. I, that I was, like, oh, where do people make, like, serious money? Or, like, where do people, like, where are people, like, this is their career? And then I looked to the late night host and I was, like, oh, they're doing this every night. And that's when I became obsessed with late night. So I didn't even really, even really grow up with it. It wasn't. It just was like through loving hosting that I was like, well, what are other hosts? And then I was like, oh, late night hosts. And, and I love, you know, I love playing games with people. I love interviewing people. And so I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Oh, that's cool. And, yeah, and it was just a couple of years of loving that and not really knowing how to get there. You know, because every late mm-hmm. night host has a different way of. Whether it's like you're you you were on SNL and then you were picked up, or like you were doing sketch and whatever, mm-hmm. or like you were doing improv, everyone has their different route, and so I just thought to myself, like, how am I gonna do it? How am I gonna get there? I mean, it was kind of a crazy idea, like you know, there's only like eight late night spots, but in my head, I was like, I want to direct my career toward that path, and so I started doing everything. Like I started doing sketch for a little bit because I thought, okay, maybe. I need to get into the sketch world, and I would do that. I didn't really like that as much, um, but I was, and I could do it. Like I was submitting because I thought, like, okay, maybe I need to be a writer on a show. So I got really heavy into sketch, um, and I found some success. Like I got to a, like the semifinal round of the Comedy Central Digital Creators back in 2018. And I was like, okay, maybe I have a knack for this. But I also knew I didn't really love doing it. Mm-hmm. So then I started to get into stand up. And I was like, all right, let me just try stand-up. And all of this, mind you, I was like doing it in a very like scientific way. Like I was like, how do people do it? How are people funny in this way? And how, how can I replicate the same thing? And that's what I was doing for all of it. So like with stand-up, I, there was the stand-up NBC um, competition. Mm-hmm. And like it was a month before, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to do stand-up. And what they what they need, what they need is just a minute. Like the first round is just a minute. Like you just have to have to have a minute set to get to the second round. 
So I crafted a minute and I practiced that every, I would go to this open, open mic and I would literally tell them, okay, I'm just gonna do a minute. And I would just do that one minute, nothing more, that is it. And I would drill that and I became really good at that minute. I did the NBC thing, I got into the second round, which was unreal, oh, wow. I was like, oh my goodness. But then- You had to have <laughs> material. You had material and I was like, oh shit, I have nothing. It's like tank the other, the other time. Um, and I just realized like, oh, I also don't really love stand up. Like I don't really love stand up. Um, what I love is improv and what I love is hosting. Mm-hmm. And so it was one time I was talking to my friend and I was just like, you know, I'm doing all this stand up stuff just so I can become a late night host. And then as I heard myself say that, I was like, well, why don't you just be a late night host? <laughs> And that's literally how Mad Late started, where I was like, okay, I'm going to create a show in which I get to be the thing that I'm like, I'm like doing everything else to become. Why don't I just do that thing that I want to do? Right. So even if I get to be it or not, in the meantime, I've always been it, if that makes sense. Like I get to mm-hmm. be that thing all the way up until becoming that thing for real, or like at least being paid to become that thing. So that's how that kind of all happened. Yeah, I feel like we're kind of the same person uh, in hearing <laughs> you talk about this because I love hosting too. And I like, you know, half the reason I moved here was for improv and uh, and comedy and, um, you know, dreams of one day hosting something and acting was the other half, you know? So, like, <laughs> it's all together. But yeah. um, it's it's absolutely something that, that's just fun to do and I enjoy doing it. And I feel like someone should be hiring us there are enough shows for the, the both of us to be out there hosting. 100%. People just need people just need to hire us. That's what they need to do. It's there like it it, it's an obvious thing that needs to happen. Hire us. We're hire right. us. And I think it's it's the most difficult thing for me has been just figuring out how you know because you there's no education on that. So it's like yeah how how does one do it? And I have to ask you know I'm always I'm asking every I'm always asking everyone. I'm like always I listen to podcasts like these essentially where I listen to people whose careers, you know, like recently, right now I'm listening to Chris Hardwick. I'm like, how did Chris Hardwick become this person who hosts like literally everything? Like yeah. how does he, how did, how did that happen? He was on MTV in the nineties. Exactly. And so yeah. you hear these things, you hear these like, just, and it's always different. It's always these. It's always. Yeah. And that's what's wild about it. It's like, there isn't an avenue, like one avenue to take that will guarantee anything, you know, like you're doing the right thing by just saying, I'm going to make something and put it out there. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it is. I mean, I think when I, Amanda Seals has this really great podcast episode where she talks about this idea of a skeleton key. Um, mm -hmm. and that like everyone, cause she talks about how she wants to be like Oprah one day. That's her hope to be like someone who has like a multi, like a mogul, uh, who has like all these different empires essentially. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how, um, what she realized is that everyone who has become so successful that she admires had a skeleton key. So they had like something that they did very, very well that allowed them, that opened doors for them in other ways as well. So if you think about like Jesus and Mero, like mm-hmm. maybe like Twitter or even the, Twitter or the podcast, ended up being their skeleton key that like had them now hosting shows and whatnot, right? Like Hassan Minhaj, his skeleton key was originally stand up. And so you, I think it's like really just finding out like what is your skeleton key um, to get you in the right place that you want to 
you want to go to. Um, and for me, right now, the one I'm investing my mo- most of my time and my money in is Mad Late because it feels like where I can like really put my expertise and like love of hosting and playing games and improv all in one place once a month and hope people come and see and it you know people hear about it it's a super fun show i finally got to see it and uh i i, I yeah. knew as soon as i heard about it i still <laughs> love hearing people's opinions on it you know because it's so i mean it's been running for half a year but it's still like i just love especially improvisers i i i get to hear what my friends think about it but they're also my friends and so i love hearing from other people about like what they think especially people who love late night because this show is a, a very big homage to late night like we mm-hmm. it, uh, you know i studied every different show to come up with a show that really felt like a late night show so yeah I, I, i'm so glad you got to see it um yeah. you also got the valentine's one which is one of our most experimental ones um and um yeah yeah, it's a well-oiled machine. You're doing a really great job, and you know I I've seen tapings. I've I've seen late night with Seth Meyers tape a couple of times, and um and also Tonight Show and Late Show and uh, another show or two here. And I just I'm like to see them. the production. Me too. I love seeing. <laughs> and I, and that's like that's I almost am seeing that more than anything else. Like this last time I went to see Late Night, um I didn't even know who's gonna be on, and I didn't look. Because I just I wanted to see the comedy and I wanted to see how they produce the show. Yeah, I'm, I have the same interest. Yeah, I saw yeah any show I saw when I saw the Daily Show, I was like I don't I do not care who's gonna be on. I just want to see like how do they do this? Like how what what happens when the commercial hits? Like what do yeah. they do? Oh gosh, yeah, I'm staring at at them like you know, what are the cameras are, are moving and how, uh, they're utilizing the band during that. And like, Oh, who's yeah. Okay. This person is going and talking to mm-hmm. Jimmy in between the it's commercial. The you know, it's like everything. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching the crew and the production crew so much. Yeah. Um, so you start doing the show and it's a really funny premise. It's the premise is that you, um, are running late to your own late night show. So you have to make everything up on the fly. Yeah. Great idea for an improv show. Um, and for this late night type of show, this late night talk show premise, mm-hmm. how yeah. did, how did you prepare for it? Because like I said, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. I mean, you've got a, a producer who's helping and keeping things on, on time. And you have a director as well who is, uh, uh you know, paying attention to everything, I guess, uh, moving things along as well. How how did all that come about? Was that something that, because you were witnessing it at Tonight Show or wherever, you said, like, okay, here's what we need? Or is that something that you all had to learn as yeah. you were doing these productions? I think, so it started with me just, like, binge-watching a lot of different late night, like mm-hmm. all sorts of late night I'm talking everything. I'm talking Arsenio Hall, Joan Rivers. Like I was wanting to wow. see any sort of late night because I wanted to see – the question I always had was, okay, what what can I grab from what they're doing that can be performed improvised, right? There's some things that I can't. For example, like Stephen Colbert's monologue, I could not do improvised because that monologue is like – that's a well-written monologue. That's like deep. It has all this stuff. There's, there's no way I'm going to make that up, right? Uh-huh. But – 
Jimmy Fallon's monologue, which is set up punchline, set up punchline. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that I can grab and I can use, right? Right. Um, there's like different. There are different things that like um, that we that I would play with and try to see. So first, it was like nailing down the structure, and then I think the second part. First, it was nailing down the structure. Then it was like finding who could, who else I needed to to help out to help me out, right? So I knew I needed a. Uh, I wanted a house band, but I had this vision of a house band that would be uh, like a beatboxer who could loop. Like I had this vision. I was like, I want someone who's like, who's, she's so great. She's incredible. She's incredible. And so I was like, I was like, there mu- it must exist. It must exist. But I had this vision and she's exactly the vision I had where I was like, I need, I want one, a woman. Cause you don't see many like one, like you see so many males running late night and I'm a male running late night. So I was like, okay, I want to diversify what this stage looks like. Yeah. But and I'm you're so- the only male involved because <laughs> the, there are four people and, and you're the only male. Yeah. It's, only, it's all women uh, and they're all very talented at what they do. Um, and so Arabelle, uh, I like just posted on Facebook. I was like, I'm looking for a woman of color who can beatbox, who can beatbox and maybe loop. And this guy who I met back at the pit, Ray, who, who runs off top, he was like, I know, I know one, I only know one person in New York City who can do that. Here's her info. I reached out to her. We met up uh, and we had some drinks. We talked, we talked it over and I found out she loved Late Night as well, which was great. She loved Late Night. She was like a big fan of, of uh, Letterman and I was like, great, this is awesome. Like, I'm glad that you enjoy that. And so... I got her on board, and then um, I need. I wanted someone else to to direct it and like watch it happen because I didn't want to be. I just needed some uh, like someone to be directing it. I had all this all these thoughts, but I needed someone to kind of help me like organize it. And so I reached out to Alexis Lambre, our direct now our director, <clears throat> who I knew through Story Parts. I knew through the Magnet. We weren't very close. She's also from Dayton, Ohio. But I kind of just like cold called her. Um, or like text her maybe or emailed her and was like, hey, I'm thinking about this show. Would you want to direct it? And I find out that she also loved Late Night and she's like a big Conan fan. And then the last part of it came from my friend Colleen. She's like my best friend from home. And she was the person who I originally, who she was the person who when I said like, uh, I'm doing all this stand-up to become a Late Night host. And then I had this like epiphany. It was in front of her. And um, she originally was just like to help out with graphics. She does she does book covers for Penguin. She's an incredible graphic designer. But then I was like, oh, we're gonna do this game aspect, and I don't know how to make it improvised because if if I know if I know the objects, then it doesn't seem improvised. I need someone who's kind of like a master at picking out objects and props to be this person. And Colleen also really loves pranks. She's like a real into pranks. And so I was like, you're perfect. You're this like mischievous person who can like design whatever she wants. And so then she, and she has no real performance background. She actually gets quite nervous coming up on stage. But Oh, she, really? Yeah, yeah. She, 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 like for her, it's just, she loves the design. Yeah, I, uh, I had no, I didn't pick up on that at all. No, she's very straight face when she gets on there. And I think now she's definitely more comfortable with it. But I remember at first she was like, she just like felt nervous even like saying the objects as she was putting them on. Now she's really comfortable with it. Oh, okay, uh, cool, cool. And that's how the team was assembled. So yeah, it was. That's the, awesome. 
three and it's great. And we, we meet, uh, like before, like three weeks before show, we'll meet every Wednesday. I cook. Like that's my only way. Like I, well, I, I pay Colleen for our graphic design and I, I, I make sure everyone's funded on the show. I think it's really important. I think, um, that like artists be paid for their work as someone who like hopes to be paid well in the future for my, mm-hmm. for my work. I think that's really important. So, um, everyone on the show gets paid. The artist who like comes at the end, um, the subway performer who's mm-hmm. like surprise guest, they also get paid. That's really important for me. But I also, um, because I don't pay, I can't pay that much. I make dinner for them every time they, they come on Wednesday. Oh, so and like, it's always the subway performer. Yeah. So the, yeah, the show closes out. Um, yeah, I'll say the structure in case people are listening right now and they're like, what is this? What do you mean an improvised late night show? So like, <laughs> uh, you know, you're in the lobby, you get to put headlines, you're going to put recent headlines that are true. You mm-hmm. put them in a bucket, you submit yourself as a celebrity guest, you come into the show, uh, the monologue happens on the spot. I make punchlines out of the, out of the headlines. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and there's like a game. Then I pull an audience member. They get interviewed. Then I do a game with them that's improvised based on the objects that Colleen brings out. And then at the end, there's always a it's always a street performer or a subway performer that uh, the week of I book and invite them to come to the show. And then they come and perform and they close out the show. I love the premise. I love the whole idea. Like, it, it really all works. It works Good. super wow. well. I'm curious, outside of binge-watching a bunch of shows, did you also read comedy writing for late-night TV? I did, actually. Okay, because I, I had the author on uh, early in the podcast. Joe Toplin, yeah. I've actually been... So it's funny, because in, in 2017, and I only remember this recently because I, I reached out to him again recently, mm-hmm. but in 2017, I sent him an email just being like, hey, I read your... Because now that I think about it, Madeline has been in in the works. Like, I'd say I started like really going in on it maybe three months before we went in on July. But mm-hmm. in 2017, I read comedy writing for late uh, late night TV uh, just because I want I was I became obsessed with late night. And I really wanted to be on it, and I remember emailing him and being like, "Hey, I'm wondering like." how do people become late night hosts? <laughs> it was like a very, like, you know, cause I was, it was like, I didn't know. I was like, how do people do it? And I told him all the stuff I'm doing. He was, and I remember he, he was very nice. He responded and said, you know, like they come from all different backgrounds, you know, like what we were talking about, they come from here, 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 but it sounds like you're doing the right thing. And then recently I emailed him about the show and I just, and I was telling him, thank you because your book, like, yeah, that book, helped so much especially in the monologue yeah. Like, oh yeah do an improvised monologue like you have to know his like his whole his whole like formula is like in the back of my head all the time uh, yeah it's those. such so, it's such a thorough book um, such a good yeah such a good book and a really nice guy i mean he's responded every he's super time nice I- yeah oh gosh he's super nice i sent him once i, I just had an idea for a joke and uh, i sent him a a email once just saying like hey does this joke work and he was just like well uh da 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 you know this part yeah. isn't you know he's just he's the nicest super cool yeah yeah I, I, so that that was a, a great book i also recently read uh letterman uh a late night giant it's by jason zinneman okay. really good book super good but it's like a whole biography on letterman and like goes into such detail on just like the production of the show, which was so good and it informed so much. Like 
the show you saw, you got to hear Alexa speak to us, like, as the director, which, <laughs> and she's, like, kind of a character now in our show. Yeah, you all used her well. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot of fun, but at first, she, at the first few shows, she wasn't, it, she wasn't really part of the show. She, she would just simply, like, direct, direct and give us feedback at the end, and then when I read about Letterman and her, how, like, how Gurney, his director, they had this banter, and it was always really funny because like mm-hmm. Letterman would always get his name wrong, and it was like always this great banter between them. I was really inspired by that, and I was like, okay, Alexis, I think we can. You know, Alexis is an incredible improviser, and she's very mm-hmm. funny. Okay, I think we can like include you in the show more, and then that added a whole other layer where we're like spinning so many plates about the different relationships between all these different people on stage. Um, and it was through that book, and it's an incredible book, and. Um, yeah, actually, by coincidence, he was re- he was writing about um, uh, and uh, Cornfeld and Andrews. He came to he came to the author of the book came because the New York Times reporter was gonna write about them, and I was at that same show and I had his book with me, and I go up to him and I'm like, "You're the writer of this book," and he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I wrote that book." And I was like, "Oh, that's crazy. I have a late night show here," and he's like, "Oh, that's nice." And I walk away and then. It was just like so perfect. My face shines on the on the on the uh, theater, like you know where they project the uh, different shows. Af- right after I speak to him, so he sees me there, <laughs> and he actually started asking me about the show after. And then Rick comes out and starts like saying like, "Oh, this is the guy I was talking to you about. You should really come to see the show." So he may be coming next month, which I'm really excited about because like this guy like wrote this book that's so he's like so steeped in late night. So I'm so excited. I love it when people who know late night see the show. So that's a real exciting opportunity that might happen for us. Yeah. I hope that works out. And also there's an opportunity for like a, a YouTube show as well. Yeah. So we're right now we're talking to, um, there's this live TV network called dreams mm-hmm. and, uh, they have one show up. It's called Teffy. Uh, it's a really good show. It's it's daily pop culture show, um, and they're trying to build out like a full on, uh, lot like TV network that's all live content uh, on YouTube, and so I like pitched the show to them, and they're they're interested. They they're really I got to I got to actually tour it tour the the studio recently, and it looks really cool. So we're actually now trying to think of, and that's a big hurdle for me. And I'd love if you have any thoughts on it, like. Um, I'm thinking like how do, how do I make Mad Late digital because it's so based right. on being a live theater show and that's like kind exactly, of exactly yeah like the guests you're just pulling out of the audience exactly and so it's like how would that work otherwise um, I guess so, you would have to have an audience there that's what I that's what I figure like that's and that's what we were talking about like even if it's a small like ten to twenty person audience yeah that'd be perfect that there be like still the audience but because it's live and digital that means like People can call in. People can submit headlines digitally. Yeah, uh, you know, so it uh, opens it up in this whole other way. Um, and so I'm thinking, you know, it just—it's a matter of just like how do we repackage this? Because I love—I mean, what I love the most is just that live energy, and I love the audience participation. I love the way in which it always feels like like we don't know what's going to happen. Like I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to come up on stage, and I love that. That thrill is like so fun for me it's a thrill that i guess you don't really get if you if you have like if i'm jimmy fallon like i kind of know what the what the lineup is for the night and right uh, the person was pre-interviewed so it's all kind of like it looks spontaneous but there's it's mostly um kind of there for you which is good and it makes sense why they do it but i love just 
not knowing. Like that is a thrill for me. It's a big thrill for me. So yeah. It's an excellent show. If anyone's coming to New York, uh, they should come check it out. If they live here, they should definitely come check it out. Um, and it's yeah. getting, getting put on at the Magnet. Yeah, every third Saturday Magnet Theater. It's a, it's a blast. And we, we love having... We're now seeing more people who I don't know in the show, in the audience. And that's a lot of fun. Because a lot of the... T- you know, at the beginning, it's like, all your friends are coming. And now it's like people from out of town are seeing it and it's so fun to get them on stage and for them to be like the guest and for them to be part of the fun. Um, this is this last show that you saw. It was like everyone on stage were people that I just did not know at all. Like the couple, the guy I interviewed and it was just so fun to interact <laughs> with people. It was really cool. Oh, that's dope. I first saw you was through she wolf and um i was like this guy's great and then you left the team and i was like oh that's too bad and then you came back a couple times just to play with him uh and then i started seeing the stuff for mad late and i was like oh great he's around again (laughs) you know i was was like happy about that yeah i left she wolf kind of because mad late because i had this idea in Mm -hmm. mind it's like Mm -hmm. i can't you know like i'm I'm doing a full-time job where i'm teaching kids and i can't and then, you know, to be like Wednesday night performing, Friday night practice, it just was, it just was too much. And I was like, okay, well, I got to sacrifice this in order to pursue this new idea that I have. And it, it turned out, but yeah, that was a great group to be a part of. Such a, such a fun group. Yeah. Great shows. Yeah. We could talk forever. Oh yeah. We could. I mean, now that I know you man, we could go, we could get it. I now we're, we're going to definitely talk offline more about hosting For sure. everything. Gotta talk to you about that. But we've reached the end of the episode. We should create something together. Yeah. Let's create... Here's my idea. That I I throw out a real headline, and you can demonstrate how you turn that into a monologue joke. Yeah, let's do it together. I love... We can even do it. Yeah, I'll do one. I'll try. I mean, I'm I'm rusty, but I'll do it. Yeah, I think what we can can do, and it's it's actually helpful for me to slow down, because like... Um, what's interesting is like in the, in the, in the weeks up, like leading up to Mad Late, like the fir- the two weeks leading up to the show, I am so involved in the news and I know everything that's going on because I don't know what headline might come up on the show. But on the weeks that are not close to the show, I do not learn. I do not know what's going on in the world because I just like need to disconnect from everything. Um, so this will be good. And I also think like, it'll be fun for us because you've read Joe Toplin's book to um, just talk about what are the different takes we could play with it. So right. yeah. I actually have it sitting right here. So it's like, you know, it's like I said, it's so thorough, so much so that it's like, okay, how do I even do this? Um, so, the, but they're all, <laughs> there's so many different, all right, you're going to do better at this than I am, but we're going to do this we'll together. See. I'll let you know. And I'll, I'll even break down, like, because there are definitely some shortcuts that I've learned. So, um, <laughs> okay. so I'll definitely share those along the way. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'll throw one out to you right now. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Garner's boyfriend, John Miller, is uncomfortable with Ben Affleck's candid interviews. Mm, okay. Say it again. Jennifer Garner's boyfriend John Miller is uncomfortable with Ben Affleck's candid interviews. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind uh, is to say uh, he's, and he'll be more uncomfortable when he finds out that Ben Affleck is the Batman. That's what I said <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> okay. Um, and of course, that's 
taking uh, a pop culture. This is one of the tricks that Joe Toplin mentioned. It's like taking a pop culture reference mm-hmm. uh, to associate with it. Yeah. I um, think a, a lot of it is like if, if, I, if, if you were to go into my brain during that monologue, it's like the first thing I think is like is there a pun available? Because if mm-hmm. there's an easy pun for me to go for, I'm going to go for that. I have no shame. I'm going to go for that hard because if yeah. it comes I'm going to do it. You're making it up on the <laughs> off the top of your head, you, you know. So it's going to be like pun available, right? Like mm-hmm. talking about cows, great. I'm going to say moo. Like don't <laughs> there's no no question about it. And then from there it's like yeah, then it's like cultural references. Like if there's something I can re- refer to, like immediately you say Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck, I'm like, "Okay, uh the only thing I know about Jennifer Garner is uh her part in Electra, and I don't think people are going to get that." But Ben Affleck, like, he was in that really shitty Batman. So that's what I'm going to use right now. You know, that gets me there. Um, So, yeah, that's like linking two associations of the topic um, and using pop culture. That's that's one of the uh, approaches to a punchline. Well, Mm -hmm. it's like I'm looking at the book now. So punchline maker number two, link the topic to pop culture. So that's what you did. That's you want me to throw you one? Okay, yeah. We'll see uh, how I... <laughs> here we go. I'm going to find one that... Uh, let me see. I have to look at my uh, headlines. Uh, All right. Democratic leaders willing to risk party damage to stop Bernie Sanders. Okay. I'll read it again. Democratic leaders willing to risk party damage to stop Bernie Sanders. Little do they know, Bernie Sanders is willing to risk damaging the party. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I mean, that's that one doesn't have a big umph. Well, so so I think what you play with in that in that one, like when I see Democratic well, kind of number four punchline maker number four risk party damage to stop Bernie Sanders is sometimes I'll look at a word like risk party damage, and so I think about party and bernie sanders right and 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 change that association rather than like talk about like the Democratic party so that was my first instinct was to use the word party like you know we're having we're throwing a party exactly and i thought so i guess the a better joke would be to go uh, you know who wants bernie sanders at a party or like exactly that's mm -hmm. yeah like but who wants bernie sanders at a party like that's or you know, so for Bernie, you know, it, and something that I clock in my mind before going into a show is like, especially with all the Democratic um, nominees, is is usually they're associated with one thing, like Bernie old, uh, you know, Bloomberg billionaire, mm-hmm. uh, Buttigieg looks like a child, uh, <laughs> Biden like old and irrelevant, and like also kind of like creepy. Like, so you have these things ready so that if I see party, and if I see party and uh, and like party and Biden. Then all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be touched by him. You know, like you, you get like this, <laughs> you, you immediately have this uh, connection between them. But it's like I have to have my, my I have a lot of associations primed just to be able to easily link them. Ah, boom. There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Chris. Of course, man. This is a great talk. I love I love being, this is the first podcast where I got to talk about Mad Late. So thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. 
between talking about Mad Late and seeing Sean's show, as mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I feel really inspired to do a show, and Justina and I have been talking about it, so we gotta do it. I hope you feel inspired and that you learned something from my chat with Chris about how to prepare and make a show. The next Mad Late is March 28th. Link in bio to buy tickets. You can follow Mad Late and Chris on Instagram at Mad Late Show. That's Mad with three A's and at Chris underscore DLC underscore. Follow the podcast at There It Is Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We have links in bio for all those as well. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.